is the catchiest song of the year by far, making her late-night TV debut, performing her breakout hit, No Roots. Please welcome Alice Merton! <laughs> the general gist of it. It's fun, right? It's a fun song. You could look it up later on YouTube if you want. So uh, some of the lyrics that stand out for, to me from this song are lines like, I build a home and wait for someone to tear it down. Then I pack it up in boxes and head for the next town. Or I, I like standing still, but that's just a wishful plan. Ask me where I come from. I'll say a different land. But I've got memories and I travel like gypsies in the night. Uh, and then, of course, the chorus of the song goes, I've got no roots, but my home was never on the ground. Now, this song, No Roots, came from Alice Merton's nomadic past. You see, when she was younger and growing up, she moved around many times. She actually, moved, before she turned 18, she moved around 12 times in four different countries because of her dad's job. And so this song came out of her very personal life experience, and uh, it, it, it was amazingly popular. Uh, this was her first single and uh, as a new artist, 
and it went platinum in many countries. And this song uh, was the very first song that she came out with. Now, why was this song so wildly popular? I think it's because many people really resonated with the lyrics and the theme of this song, No Roots. There's something about this idea of being not grounded that a lot of people were able to connect with. People nowadays love to dabble, they love to wander, they love to explore, and they love to experiment with seemingly no end. There seems to be this kind of uh, spiritual epidemic in the 21st century, what I like to call spiritual wandering. Spiritual wandering. Spiritual wanderers are those who believe in a God, and they might even consider themselves Christian, but they don't like to be rooted in any one place or community. They like to explore, they love to wander, they love to dabble, uh, but not really get rooted or grounded deep enough in order to truly experience this growing, maturing relationship with Christ. Researcher and author David Kenneman from the Barna Group wrote a few books on this topic, and he labels these people as nuns or spiritually homeless. But that sounds a little too negative for me, so that's why I like to call uh, these people uh, spiritual wanderers. Some of the distinctive qualities of spiritual wanderers are those who don't necessarily pray on a regular basis. They don't read the Bible on a daily or regular basis or have devotionals um, normally. And they particularly uh, love to hop around from church to church. Uh, and they wander aimlessly, never getting rooted enough in order to experience a growing, maturing relationship with Christ. While there might be some acceptable and maybe even beneficial reasons for having brief seasons of spiritual wandering, there are negative consequences to living this way indefinitely. Spiritual wanderers love to dabble, but can you dabble too much without drifting away? Spiritual wanderers love to explore, but can you explore endlessly without wandering aimlessly? Spiritual wanderers love to experiment, but can you experiment constantly without losing yourself along the way? As the world we are living in is constantly changing, so is the state of our spirituality. One noticeable difference is that people nowadays are a lot more transient now than they were in the past. And I don't necessarily mean they move homes or change jobs. This is being transient, and it's almost like a state of being these days. The way people relate with others and the way we live our lives is radically different in the 21st century than in the past. While there are a lot of benefits and conveniences that we have now that we didn't have previously, it's fundamentally changing the way people connect with one another. For example, uh, with so many dating apps and online dating services, people are dating more and more different people now than ever before. Now, I'm all for dating, okay? Dating is very good and it's very important. But there are people out there who are literally dating hundreds of people, hundreds of different people, and I'm not exaggerating. There, have, there are people who date different people after different people kind of nonstop, and they're asking the same questions, and they're having the same conversations, and they're really 
is no depth of relationship. And people are moving around and uh, they're, they're, they're renting a lot more than they are purchasing homes and they're getting married much later and they're having kids much later. And so it, that, all of that stuff delays uh, the sense of permanence. Now, how does this apply to our spirituality or how people do church and community these days? Well, you see, in the 20th century, people generally stuck with one church for most of their lives, unless there was some really pivotal or dramatic reason, like you moved away or the church you were, uh, you were at went through some sort of extreme change. People typically did not change churches. That's no longer the case these days. People change churches like they change cars. <laughs> and uh, they re there really doesn't have to be any real reason behind it. Maybe they just got bored <laughs> and they just want to try something new. Maybe they got slightly offended by something a staff member or a lay leader said. Or maybe there's this like hip new church that opened up across town and they wanted to just try it out. There really doesn't have to be any strong reason or compelling reason for people to change churches these days. And this is all kind of signs of this thing called spiritual wandering. Spiritual wandering wasn't too much of an issue in the 21st century because the culture didn't necessarily encourage that kind of behavior. Because of our rapidly changing lifestyles, spiritual wandering has become a natural result for millions and millions of people and Many of these people don't even realize it. Unfortunately, spiritual, wandering, uh, spiritual wanderers are people who have kind of become products of the world that they are living in. It almost takes an intention and deliberate purpose not to become a spiritual wanderer. The passage we looked at earlier today uh, is from the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he is among a privileged group in the Old Testament called the major prophets. There are six major prophets in this group, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Now, among these six, Jeremiah is arguably one of the greatest Hebrew prophets of all time because Jeremiah's career as a prophet was unusually long. It lasted uh, for over 40 years, and Jeremiah served many roles for the Israelites uh, during, uh, between the period of 627 B.C. to 587 B.C. And Jeremiah was born into a priestly family, so Jeremiah was raised to be a priest before he actually became a prophet, and Jeremiah was also very involved politically. And so Jeremiah wore many hats. Okay? He was highly educated, and he influenced many, many of Israel's kings. Now, the book of Jeremiah captures a history of Israel's demise and downfall. The book of Jeremiah is often called the book of judgment because God said some very harsh words to the Israelites because of their disobedience, as we saw in today's passage. And because of Israel's foolishness, they go through a lot of turmoil and a lot of struggle. And there's a lot of stuff that happened to the Israelites during Jeremiah's time. But the main thing that we need to know is uh, the biggest thing that happened to the Israelites during this time was that the powerful Babylonian Empire took over Jerusalem, exiled the Israelites, and the Israelites came under the captivity of this powerful Babylonian Empire. 
But oddly enough, the Babylonians really liked the prophet Jeremiah. So they kept him around as hostage, but they were actually utilizing his gifts as a prophet. And so Jeremiah continued to be a prophet even during this post-exiled Babylonian uh, period. The history of the Israelites is wrought with struggle, pain, and difficulty. It seemed like they were forever coming up and coming down as a people, as a nation. Israelites depend, but, but the Israelites, in many ways, their rise and fall was very dependent on their state of spirituality. Can the Israelites, and one of the things that they constantly struggled with was actually idolatry. They actually made an idol of a lot of the gifts that God had given them. One example is the city of Jerusalem. They loved their hometown of Jerusalem so much that they actually put it on a pedestal. And one of the things that they loved about Jerusalem was its temple. And they actually loved the temple more than they loved God himself. And they, it's like they loved the shell, the, the, the case, more than the contents of what the temple was supposed to represent. And so this is why, in many ways, God allowed the Israelites to fall. God did not stop the Israelites' enemy from attacking them because they were disobedient. And before Jerusalem fell and the Israelites were exiled from their homeland, Jeremiah actually received a prophecy from God saying exactly what would happen to them. In Jeremiah chapter 5, God said, People of Israel, I am bringing a distant nation against you, an ancient and enduring nation, a people whose language you do not know, whose speech you do not understand. And this is from Jeremiah 5.15. And this is before they actually, uh, the Babylonian Empire came into Jerusalem and kicked all the Israelites out. Okay, this is a prophecy that God gave about the Babylonian Empire. And then, God continues in Jeremiah 6. He says, this is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. They are armed with bow and spear. They are cruel. They show no mercy. <laughs> they sound like a roaring sea as they ride on their horses. They come with men, like men in battle formation to attack you, daughter Zion. Why would God allow this? Why would God abandon his people. What we have to remember is that the Israelites lived very disobedient, reckless, and faithless lives for many, many, many years before their exile. So in truth, the Israelites abandoned God far before God abandoned the Israelites. What might be more surprising, though, is that God actually instructed the Israelites to settle down in Babylon after the exile. In other passages in Jeremiah, like Jeremiah 29, God told the Israelites to find permanent homes, have children, marry off their sons and daughters, establish their careers, and grow gardens. God is literally telling them to plant your roots <laughs> in Babylon. This empire that kicked them out of Jerusalem and that they are captives of. He is saying, you're going to be in Babylon for a while. So get comfortable. <laughs> God gives them a certain number. He says that they will be under captivity for 70 years. 
Now, numbers in the Bible uh, represent a lot, okay? They're, they're very symbolic, right? And so when God told the Israelites that they will be under captivity within the Babylon for 70 years, uh, it's not literally 70 years because 70 years in, in the big picture of things is not that long, right? God was actually telling them that they are going to be there until their time is done. Before their time, and how, when is this? How will they know when their time is done? It's when they remember God's commandments, when they are living in accordance to God's will, when they are living lives of faithfulness. In other words, God would not allow his people to be physically settled until they are spiritually settled. God would not allow his people to be physically settled until they are spiritually settled. And I, I'm thinking about this, and I, I, I'm probably giving you more of a historical background than uh, you were expecting, but I, I was thinking about this, and I think part of the reason why so many of us in the 21st century are so transient, and I'm not talking about, like, again, I'm not talking about moving cities, or I'm just talking about our state of being. I think a lot of it is because we are not spiritually settled. We are not spiritually settled. Part of the reason why we're physically so uh, not at ease is because it's a reflection of our spiritual state. And this brings us back to today's passage in Jeremiah 14. While these words from God uh, uttered by the prophet Jeremiah for the post-exiled Israelites thousands of years ago, we can still interpret them for today's context when we are looking at it through the eyes of spiritual wanderers. As we look at this passage through this lens, we can see how God could get often frustrated with this kind of spirituality. And it is a spirituality, okay? Spiritual wanderers are still spiritual people. And many of them probably still have genuine faiths, but maybe don't know what to do with it. And when we look at this passage through that lens, we can really see what God truly cares about the most. And starting with verse 10, they greatly love to wander. Do you see why I chose the term wanderer? <laughs> they greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet, so the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. They don't just wander. They love to wander. It's fun. Kind of like that song. <laughs> She's like singing, I've got no roots, and she's like dancing around, right? It's, it, there's, there is some fun to it. I'm not going to lie, right? It's kind of fun, like meeting different people, kind of dabbling in different communities and trying different things. But how long can we actually do that, right? How long can we actually sustain that kind of living? And they love to float around. They love to hop around from one group to another group, right? And they, don't, they do not like to restrain their feet. They don't like to plant their feet, right? They're constantly moving around. This is actually very common for a lot of people, and this isn't limited to church or spirituality, okay? Uh, with regards to friendship, okay? I think nowadays more and more people are wanting a breadth of friendship rather than depth of friendship. Even if you think about social media, okay, I have a few friends who are in like, who work in that realm and they're media planners. And you're more likely to get more likes and followers like on Instagram or Facebook if you take pictures with lots of different people, 
and you tag them in the picture. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like tagging them, like, uh, and you like link their account to that picture. And now if you're constantly taking the same picture with the same few people, you're not going to get as many likes or followers. And even when you think about in terms of uh, your career, like networking, right? You want to get to meet as many people as you can so that potentially in the future, you could network with them and that might lead to potential jobs in the future. Now, if you're only network, networking with the same like, handful of people, that kind of limits your, your network and potential job opportunities in the future. So the world rewards this kind of behavior. So why wouldn't we apply it to our spirituality? But it doesn't work that way. God is not like our Instagram friend. <laughs> He's not like one of the people that we connect with on LinkedIn. But I think just subconsciously, the way we live our lives, we are transferring that to the way we relate with God. And so this result of spiritual wandering, it's, it's almost like it's really, really hard to resist. And a lot, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about young people either, okay? I'm not just talking about millennials, okay? Because a, a lot of my friends live this way. A lot of my peers live this way. A lot of people that I know who are older than me live this way as well. And a lot of us don't even realize it. And it's kind of like we're blind to it. We're blind to it. And I feel like this is part of the reason why God is so harsh, like in today's passage. He wants us to wake up from our spiritual blindness. We're treating God the way we treat our friends on Facebook. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. God loves that disciple, that follower, that son or daughter who walks that long line of obedience in the same direction. God wants his people to wake up. God wanted the Israelites to wake up from their spiritual slumber. And this is what's really odd about um, the passage we just read, okay? Uh, going beyond verse 10, then the Lord said to me in verse 11, then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> don't even pray for them. <laughs> God is telling the Jeremiah, don't even pray, for them, which is wow. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. What, what is this saying? The Israelites, they're, they're actually practicing religion. They're fasting. But God doesn't care. They're giving to God their offerings, their burnt offerings, their animal offerings, and their grain offerings. But God doesn't want it. Why? It's because they're lacking obedience they're lacking faithfulness, and they're lacking relationship. One of the qualities or characteristics of, like, spiritual wanderers is that many spiritual wanderers actually practice religion, and many of them pretty well. Maybe they go to church regularly, okay? Maybe they know the routines and the rituals, but at the core of it, it's empty. 
when, and this is odd because like when I think about holy people, okay, and like what is like the holiest thing a holy person could do, I actually think of fasting. <laughs> I think fasting is like one of the holiest things like a person can do, but God doesn't even care about that. I mean, it's not like God needs us to fast. It's not like God desperately needs our offerings or our money, right? God is great whether or not we acknowledge that. If we give God more money, if we give God more offerings, it doesn't make him greater, okay? He's not like, uh, like those Greek mythical gods where that's what they believed. They believed if you give, you have to give offerings to these like Greek mythical gods and they become like stronger. God is not like that. He doesn't need our fasting. He doesn't need our offering. God actually just wants our hearts. He wants our faithfulness. So the Israelites, they were really, really good at being religious, but at the core of it, their spirituality was empty. A lot of this reminds me of um, when Jesus would often perform healing miracles. Like, Jesus didn't just like, when he would perform healing miracles, he didn't just like wave his hand and go, abracadabra, you are healed, right? <laughs> he didn't do that, right? He actually, most often, he would give them a command. Did you guys notice these things about Jesus? Like, he doesn't just say, shazam, you're healed, right? He actually tells them to do something, right? And, and he wants them to be involved in the process of healing. And so, for example, like there's this lame man who was waiting by the pool of Bethesda because there was this like legend that every once in a while an angel will come down at this pool called Bethesda and the first one to jump into that pool will uh, be healed. And so there was this lame man who was waiting by that pool and, and Jesus finds him and he goes to him and uh, he gives him a command. He says, get up. He tells this lame man to get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And that's when he was healed. And it's like he wants to, he, he wants to wake us up from our spiritual slumber. He wants to wake us up from our spiritual slumber. And this is why Jesus reminds us to, believe, to be deeply rooted in him. Now, if I were to only preach from Jeremiah 14 without any kind of, like, follow-up, that would be pretty depressing. <laughs> so, which is why uh, we're following up with John 15, verse 5, in page 928 of your NIV books. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That word, uh, remain. In other versions of the Bible, uh, it, that word is also translated as abide. That means to, to dwell, to live with Jesus. It's like he's like our roommate. <laughs> uh, we know each other, like uh, he's asking us to know him that intimately, and he wants to know us that intimately. And it might be obvious to some of you, but Jesus is making the parallel uh, with that thick vine of a grapevine uh, with, and us being branches, 
And now a lot of us, we don't come across like grapevines very often. But it's kind of like a, the tree trunk. Okay, Jesus is saying, I am like the trunk and you are the branches. As long as you remain connected to the trunk, uh, you will have life. And the natural outcome of these branches being deeply rooted, uh, deeply connected to the tree trunk is they will have life. So Jesus is really challenging us to be deeply rooted in him in one of three ways. Oh, was that slide there the whole time? Oh, okay. That was like my grand finale. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's challenging us to be deeply rooted in him in, one, in three primary ways, in word, in prayer, and in community. And this is really what we're going to be pushing for in 2019 as a community at Missio, to be deeply uh, uh, connected to him in word, prayer, and community. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing? It's precisely what God was frustrated with with the Israelites in Jeremiah 14. Even though they fast, even though they give God burnt offerings and grain offerings, it means nothing to God without faith. It means nothing to God without obedience and without relationship. In Jeremiah, the Israelites weren't lacking in fasting and giving offerings and going through the motions of being religious. What they were lacking was faith and having a relationship with God. And so when Jesus is telling us to remain in him or to abide in him, to be connected to him, he is really commanding us to be deeply rooted in him through word, prayer, and the community. Living in Southern California, it's always refreshing to me to see a little bit of rain like there was yesterday and last night. It reminded me of um, my bachelor party over a decade ago when my friends asked me uh, what kind of bachelor party I wanted before I got married. I told them I wanted something kind of low-key but still fun. So we ended up doing things like going to the beach, riding ATVs, and going wine tasting. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to go wine tasting was because uh, I got married a couple years after this movie called Sideways came out, and that movie Sideways is all about wine tasting, and uh, I, I loved that movie. And so uh, we went to Santa Barbara, and we went to one of the most uh, highly awarded wineries out in Santa Barbara, and um, we went in there, and we kind of like pretended like we knew what we were talking about, you know, like we kind of stuck our nose up a little bit, like, and we acted like wine connoisseurs, when really I had no idea, like, the difference between, like, different wines. Uh, and so we sat down at the bar where we were doing this wine tasting, and we were sipping different kinds of red wine, like Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, and, like, we, again, we were, like, just pretending like we knew what we were talking about, like, mmm, mmm, I really taste the soil in this. <laughs> There's fruity notes of citrus and, uh, I don't know, and like, anyways, so we were just like, but we were just happy to be drinking wine, <laughs> and honestly. Um, and uh, the wine bartender was telling us way more information about each glass than we ever wanted uh, to know or ever needed to know, right? And uh, she's like, oh, the weather was like 60-something degrees when this grape was like, like harvested. I'm like, I don't care. Just give me the wine. <laughs> 
But, you know, I was like kind of acting along. I was like playing along. And for some reason, I asked her like, oh, what kind of irrigation do you guys use for your wines, for your vineyards? And uh, she said something kind of interesting. She said, oh, our winemakers actually use very, very little irrigation. And I was like holding, holding the wine glass. Oh, is that, is that so? <laughs> and uh, she said that, yeah, actually, it's only for like a couple months out of the year where they will actually irrigate, like in late summer, early fall, when they know for sure it's going to be very dry. But for most of the year, they don't use irrigation. They actually, have, they actually believe that you have to kind of leave the vines alone. The, the vines need to experience the, the dryness of summer and the harshness of winter just as much as they need to experience the, the rains of the spring in order for the roots to grow deep. If you make it too easy for the vines, the roots won't go, grow deep enough. What kind of season are you in right now? No matter what season you're in, may we not forget that God is always present with us and he's allowing us to go through different seasons so that our roots can grow deeper. In 2019, let us be more deeply rooted to God in word, prayer, and community. Let's pray.